This is Ozarks at Large for Wednesday, December 8th, 2021. Good afternoon. I'm Kyle Kellums. This is your public radio station, KUAF, a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. This hour, a big change for a small town. You know, they put car counters out there. There's 20,000 cars in a 24-hour period at certain times of the year. Eureka Springs roads already have twists, turns, and hills. Up next, a roundabout. And just ahead, something new for the University of Arkansas, Fort Smith, a minor in diversity studies. We'll learn more in about four minutes. Arkansas lawmakers are meeting again today in a special session at the state capitol. Yesterday, lawmakers formally opened the session focused on cutting state income taxes. Governor Asa Hutchinson called the session with the main goal of lowering the state's top individual tax rate from 5.9 to 4.9 percent over the next four years. While neither chamber heard debate on the governor's plan yesterday, senators argued over two bills that would give income tax credits to law enforcement officers. Lieutenant Governor Tim Griffin said the bills should not be excluded because of rules prohibiting legislation not included in the governor's call. I don't see how in the world a bill dealing with a tax credit is not germane to the subject of dealing with tax cuts and tax credits generally. The legislature gets a lot of leeway, and I can't save y'all from what y'all have the ability to do, which is to kill anything, to overrule me, to do whatever. Lawmakers ultimately did overrule Griffin's decision on both bills, meaning they likely won't be considered during this special session. Independent State Senator Jim Hendren of Gravit said it's clear the bills are not relevant to the session's stated purpose of cutting income tax rates. It's very specific about why we have been called down here. And in fact, it mentions specifically to provide a non-refundable personal income tax credit for up to $60 for individuals having an income up to $24,700. That's pretty specific. And I guess the question that we're asking before the Senate today is, is a different tax credit that's nowhere mentioned in the call germane to that. Aside from the governor's tax cut proposal, lawmakers will consider bills the governor has described as technical corrections or cleanup bills. They relate to state funding, pharmaceutical rebates, and a bill that would allow legislators to employ security personnel. The Arkansas Department of Health counts more than 900 new cases of COVID-19 in the most recent 24 hours of testing. The ADH also is adding 24 confirmed deaths from the virus to the state's totals. Active cases have increased by more than 200, and hospitalizations ticked up by four patients in the most recent 24 hours. Governor Asa Hutchinson says given current trends, he expects those numbers will continue rising. When you see uh, for an extended period of time our active cases going up, you know that the deaths are a lagging indicator that they will increase over time, and terribly sad that we have 24 Arkansans uh, that have died from this. Despite the Omicron variant being detected in neighboring states, Arkansas Health Secretary Jose Romero says it has not yet been found in Arkansas. He says people should take advantage of vaccine booster shots to be ready, though. The Oklahoma Department of State Health diagnosed 975 new cases yesterday and added one death to that state's total. The University of Arkansas for Medical Sciences will use $3 million from the Arkansas Department of Human Services to compensate facilities in the state providing opioid use disorder patients with medication-assisted treatment. The funds can be used to offer treatment for people without insurance or the ability to pay for services. Medication-assisted treatment involves the use of medication to relieve cravings and withdrawal symptoms, along with counseling to overcome opioid use. The Razorback volleyball season is over. Arkansas lost in straight sets last night to UNLV in the third round 
of the National Invitational Volleyball Championship in El Paso. Arkansas ends the season with a 20-11 and record. And the University of Arkansas Inspirational Chorale will present the Together Again for the Holidays concert tonight at 7.30 in the Faulkner Performing Arts Center on the University of Arkansas campus. The concert is the first for the ensemble in nearly two years. Singers and audience will be masked. Tickets from $20 to $35 available through uark.universitytickets.com. This is Ozarks at Large. This week, the University of Arkansas System Board of Trustees and the Arkansas Higher Education Coordinating Board gave the official go-ahead to the University of Arkansas Fort Smith to offer a new minor beginning in the spring, diversity studies. This morning, we reached Dr. Dan Maher, professor of anthropology and sociology and coordinator of the new degree program at UAFS. He says the time is right for the development of the new program. The sociology minor has been around for about 15 years, and the anthropology minor was around for about 10. And what we saw with our minor enrollment, it started to decline in both of them, especially the anthropology minor. Um, and that was due to just, you know, the demographic fact that college enrollment is declining. And so um, we, were, we, were, we were not big programs to begin with, and so that gave us a hit. Um, and so we saw the writing on the wall there, and so we put our heads together and, and right about that time, about four years ago, we hired a new sociology professor, uh, Dr. Svetla Dimitrova. And uh, so she came on and the two of us really focused on it. And we debated about how to, and we wanted to keep the content of anthropology, uh, the content of sociology, but we wanted to repackage it. And so we thought about a lot of different things, you know, development studies, global studies, environmental justice, social justice, and uh, kind of kept going around. But in terms of practicality and curriculum, we kept coming back around to the issue of like, who's going to take this? And how does it fit into their majors and their total hours they have to take and so on? And so what we hit upon was um, an interdisciplinary diversity studies degree where students can utilize courses from seven different disciplines. Um, the minor includes elective hours in criminal justice, anthropology, psychology, English, history, uh, foreign language, Spanish, political science, social work. Um, and so students can draw from courses that were existing. So, so the, the new minor um, resulted in us deleting the anthropology minor. We no longer have an anthropology minor. We modified the sociology minor, tweaked the classes, titles, added a sex gender class, added a diversity studies class. And so, um, so other, all the other classes, and there's over 30 right. in, the, in the minor, uh, were existing classes. So we looked across the, the catalog and we saw, oh, well, in English, in history, in political science, they're teaching these classes about gender, about race, about global studies. And so, you know, we are not UA Fayetteville, and, uh, and that's okay. Um, so we don't have the ability to offer, you know, separate 
a gender studies program, African-American studies program, and so on. But we do have plenty of classes to offer a larger umbrella diversity studies degree. And in that regard, we're unique. We don't know of another college in the state that has a, a more broad diversity studies um, degree. And so students can, they can take the degree. It's an 18 hour degree. There's an intro to diversity studies class that's required. Cultural anthropology is required. And then beyond that, it's four upper level classes. And so they can mix and match across all those disciplines. Uh, they can do it by theme. They could find a, like a sex gender class across disciplines, race, ethnicity, or global studies. Or they could just take, you know, one of each, uh, depending on their interests. So it's a, it's an extremely flexible uh, degree. It really allows students to cater to their interests and um, kind of craft their own curriculum focus. To me, this sounds like, and I went to, to college a while ago, but when it wasn't as expensive and you could seek out things that you thought were interesting that could, uh, you know, adapt be adapted into your major, and it allowed the flexibility. It sounds like the classic sort of liberal education that universities and colleges at least used to, to strive to give their students. Right, right. Um, I suspect we were undergraduates in about the same decade. And so that was my experience too. And, and you know, as an undergraduate, I changed my major several times, and I was in anthropology, and I was in sociology, and and boy, I looked at that social science degree, which was a collection of several different. And so I'm, I'm inclined and, and really enjoy interdisciplinary, multidisciplinary approaches. And, uh, and yeah, it seems that back in the day, the, the curriculum, especially the elective hours, were much more open. And today, um, the hours are so compact. I mean, it's, it's legislated that it can't be over 120. Mm -hmm. And so by the time you pack in your gen ed and your major requirements, there's not a lot left over. Um, and so, so yes, uh, the degree is very flexible um, and, and, and really allows for students to pursue their specific interests. I know that this has just been announced to the public in the last couple of days before you and I are talking, but have you have you heard from students either since the announcement or before that this was something they'd be interested in? Yes, uh, we did some surveys on campus and the surveys were overwhelming that there, there was interest in such a course, like a diversity studies course um, and interest in, the, in a degree as well. And then so over the past four years, as I've been honing and, and working on the curriculum that we ended up with, Every time we got around to a certain spot, I would take it into my classes and say, hey, folks, this is what we're working on. And so I was always seeking student feedback on um, the curriculum. And I looked this morning on, on my roster, I can see if any have declared diversity studies as a minor. And, and three of the 18 who are enrolled have declared it, which is great. <laughs> I mean, that's uh, moving at warp speed uh, in terms of students formally filling out the paperwork and and still not knowing you know not there has not been a lot of publicity about it so uh so i'm thrilled we've got 18 students in that class there are 16 courses being offered in the spring that can be utilized in the minor and i think that's just fantastic um i mean it's it's you know back when we had just the sociology minor or just the anthropology minor um you know we might be able to offer two 
upper level classes at the most. And now we have uh, 13 upper level classes for them to choose from. So, uh, so again, utilizing existing classes with that emphasis really, really gives students some courses to choose from. You mentioned that there was practicality involved in, in the four-year process to get here. Was there also a sense of responsibility of what an institute of higher learning is supposed to do? And, you know, uh, revealing is not quite the right word, but showing a world of diversity to students? Sure. Yes. Uh, it was It was personally, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest. I mean, it was painful for me to even think about deleting the anthropology minor because I am a social anthropologist. I have a bachelor's and master's in sociology and a PhD in anthropology. And, and so the thought of not having that on a university campus was disconcerting to me. And, um, and, and it was that feeling of responsibility. This content needs to be present on a college campus. And so um, I'm, I, I will tell you also, honestly, I'm perfectly fine kind of substituting out the anthropology minor for the diversity studies minor. I, I think it's stronger than the anthropology minor was. I think more students will take it. It's more accessible than the anthropology minor was. So, um, so right, the, the content is being preserved. The mission of teaching cultural diversity is absolutely preserved and enhanced, I think. Anything I've neglected to ask or you wanna add? I think uh, in terms of the, the value of the minor, it's it's so valuable in so many ways and, and you know whether you know on, on our campus you don't have to have a minor uh, if you are not working on a bachelor of arts if you're if you have a bachelor of arts like psychology history English you have to have a minor right and it's a natural complement to those um, but uh, there's several degrees on campus bachelor of science in biology for example or social work or criminal justice uh, those degrees are, are always require some electives. And so uh, it's really beneficial for students to have that. If they can't have the diversity studies minor on their transcript, they can have those courses. And it's a, a great asset to have in terms of uh, employability, marketability, to be able to demonstrate to uh, potential employers that you have this skill set, this knowledge base. Um, so, yeah, I think it's, it's a, I'm, I'm thrilled about it. Very excited to see how it all unfolds. Dr. Dan Maher is a professor of anthropology and sociology at the University of Arkansas, Fort Smith, and the coordinator for the new diversity studies minor at UAFS. Our conversation took place this morning via Zoom. For over a decade, KUAF's Giving Tree program has benefited dozens of nonprofits that need our help in all of our communities. But possibly more important than helping bring in donations to these groups, the Giving Tree has raised awareness of so many issues in our area that need our attention. In this season of giving, we're helping out two groups, Peace at Home Family Shelter and the Magdalene Serenity House. We'll be hearing from both all throughout December and ways that you can help out. You can also go to our website, KUAF.com, click on the Giving Tree, and learn how you can directly benefit these groups. The Giving Tree and KUAF Public Radio, local matters. Thank you to everyone who has uh, brought things to the KUAF Giving Tree this year and in years past. We do appreciate it. You can drop off your items, as Pete just told us, at 9 South School, the KUAF Studios in downtown Fayetteville. Ahead on today's Ozarks at Large, 
another examination of the first 150 years of the University of Arkansas's history with Charlie Allison. He's the executive editor at University Relations at U of A. Today, some of the laurels U of A faculty have earned in the past 150 years, from Pulitzer Prizes to National Book Awards. That's ahead. Also ahead, the U.S. Marshals Museum in Fort Smith continues to near the finish line for fundraising. We'll have that story as well. Speaking of fundraising, this is the Season of Giving fundraiser at KUAF. You're already a KUAF listener, but maybe you don't think you're ready to become a member. One way to decide is to think about how much you listen. Use Morning Edition to brief you in on the changes in the news, update you on important issues, and add important perspective to breaking stories. Catch up on all of that and more at the end of the day with All Things Considered. Maybe you listen to KUAF.com at work, our live free streams, or you check KUAF.com when there's breaking news or to download a favorite podcast. On the weekend, you might catch some of Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, This American Life, Travel with Rick Steves, Living on Earth. Maybe you tune in Sunday mornings for Will Schwartz's Puzzle or in the evenings for classical music. So, see, you do listen enough to give. You spend a lot of time listening to KUAF, and that makes it worthy of your financial support right now. You can support programs you love on the weekends and all week long by making a contribution today. You can give online in the amount you choose at supportkuaf.com. Whether you listen for a few minutes a day or a few hours, whether you're listening for hard news or something less serious, when you listen to NPR and KUAF, you're trusting us to be part of your day, to curate the news and information that's important to you. This is Steve Inskeep asking you to help KUAF continue to be the source that you count on. Visit supportkuaf.com to become a sustaining member for the very first time. Or if you've given before, consider increasing your gift because now more than ever, we need your help. Thanks. All of the programs you listen to on KUAF made possible through listener support. Programs like All Things Considered and Ozarks at Large. And the extra services, like the ability to listen to us through the KUAF app, through your smart speaker or KUAF.com, those services, too, made available through listener support. We appreciate your support for the past 36 years. If you haven't supported us recently or perhaps ever, you can do so right now. It takes a couple of minutes. You determine the amount of your contribution at supportkuaf.com, and thank you. Support for KUAF comes from the Walmart Museum on the Square in downtown Bentonville, featuring visits from Santa December 8th, 14th, and 16th from 5 to 8 p.m. walmartmuseum.com for more information. This is Ozarks at Large. There's an interesting self-guided tour on the University of Arkansas campus, Markers denoting achievements by faculty and students during the past 150 years at the school. Advancements in agriculture, music, and superconductivity included. This week, as he continues his overlook of U of A history for the school's sesquicentennial, Charlie Allison considers some of the highest honors earned by faculty at the university. Charlie is the executive editor with University Relations at the U of A, and he begins this week with a top honor from the early 20th century. The national laurels that the University of Arkansas faculty and alumni have garnered over the years are fairly modest by comparison to the prestigious Ivy League universities. But here are a few that seem worth mentioning. John Gould Fletcher, later a visiting professor at the university, was awarded the Pulitzer Prize in Poetry in 1939 for his 1938 book, Collected Poems. 
He grew up in Little Rock, but became an expate for many years, living in London, where he was closely related with the Imagist movement, pushed forward by Ezra Pound and Amy Lowell. He continued writing after returning to America and was considered one of the most inventive poets of the 20th century. In a more recent era, Jack Butler, a 1980 graduate of the Master of Fine Arts program in creative writing, was nominated for a Pulitzer Prize in fiction for his book, Living in Little Rock with Miss Little Rock. Like Fletcher, a future Nobel Prize winner, the economist Friedrich Hayek, briefly taught at the University of Arkansas as a visiting professor. Hayek was a leading theorist and proponent of classical liberalism, free markets, limited government, political freedom. He was born in Austria and studied philosophy, economics, and psychology at the University of Vienna, eventually earning doctorates in law and political science. He taught at the London School of Economics from 1931 to the late 1940s, and then he came to the University of Arkansas for the 1949-50 school year. His reasons for coming to the U of A were not quite so admirable. It turns out that the state of Arkansas had quite liberal divorce laws at the time, which Hayek used to gain a divorce from his first wife so that he could marry his cousin. Well, that last part could be straight out of a little Abner cartoon. Nevertheless, he had to live here to get the divorce. Once that was done, though, he took a position at the University of Chicago and later in life was awarded the Nobel Memorial Prize in Economic Sciences and still later the Presidential Medal of Freedom. While I'm on the Nobel track, though, I should mention Peter Pillay, a distinguished professor emeritus of chemistry. While Pillay hasn't won a Nobel Prize, or at least not yet, his groundbreaking work was cited by the 1998 Nobel Prize winners in chemistry. In the 1960s, Poulet introduced a gradient method in quantum physics, which allowed researchers to predict the geometric structure of a molecule using computational chemical programs. Moving to the architectural design world, Faye Jones and Marlon Blackwell, two full-time professors as well as practicing architects, a generation apart, have each been honored with the most prestigious award given in that field, the gold medal from the American Institute of Architects. Jones, whose name lives on today with the School of Architecture and Design, was a leader in the regional style known as Ozark Modern, and is best known for his design of the Thorn Crown Chapel near Eureka Springs. Blackwell continues in the profession, with honors abounding for his modern buildings that, as one writer put it, are uniquely American architecture. Next on my list is an alumna of the Master of Fine Arts program in creative writing at the university, a poet named C.D. Wright. Wright grew up in Mountain Home, earned her undergraduate degree at Memphis State, briefly studied law, and then came to the U of A for the MFA program. She finished her degree in 1976. Soon afterward, the Lost Road Press, a small press started by Frank Stanford, another Mountain Home student who came to the U of A to become a writer, published her first collection, Room Rented by a Single Woman. Over the next three decades, Wright won numerous literary prizes, including a Guggenheim Fellowship, a Whiting Fellowship, a National Book Critics Circle Award for her book, One with Others. She was also a nominee for the National Book Award, but is best known for winning the MacArthur Fellowship, the so-called Genius Award. And that brings us to the final laurel in our story today, and my favorite. Like C.D. Wright, Ellen Gilchrist came to the university to study writing. In one interview, she said she had never made a conscious decision to pursue writing as a career, but nevertheless, here she was. It sort of snuck up on her. She once said that she had been on her way to the Caribbean for a couple of weeks and stopped through New Orleans for lunch with friends. Gilchrist said, quote, They said, Ellen, why don't you start writing and lay off the tennis? And I said, I think I'll start. <laughs> she took a portable typewriter with her on the trip, sat down in the islands, and wrote a sonnet. That was 1975. For her, the solitude of an island was perhaps the best place for the solitary act of writing. 
She described the need for that personal space, saying, quote, When I'm very involved in my work, I live alone. I stay by myself. I'll just stay completely alone for two or three days. Take the phone off the hook and push everybody out of my life. I work from the time I get up, and I mean the moment I get up, until about one or two in the afternoon. And since 1975, I've done that seven days a week. It took that to learn the craft. A writer is someone who writes. You write when you have a cold. You write when you're in a bad mood. She arrived in Fayetteville in 1979, and two years later, the University of Arkansas Press published her first collection of short stories, In the Land of Dreamy Dreams. In 10 months, it sold 10,000 copies, a rather astounding rate for what was then a relatively new and still small academic press. The book garnered critical acclaim, leading to the republication of her stories in publications such as The Atlantic, Cosmopolitan, and The Pushcart Prize 4. It also, of course, led to more books, a novel titled The Annunciation, which received mixed reviews, and then a second collection of short stories titled Victory Over Japan. Victory Over Japan won the National Book Award in 1984. Gilchrist began teaching in the creative writing program as a visiting professor in 2000, and she joined the faculty the next year, teaching until her recent retirement. Asked once about where she found source material for her writing, she pointed toward downtown Fayetteville and said, quote, There's enough happening between here and the restaurant in the corner to keep me busy for the rest of my life. <laughs> Cheers to a long life. It may not compare with the National Book Award, but Ellen Gilchrist was also a weekly commentator on NPR's Morning Edition many years ago. Commentary she recorded on reel-to-reel tape, I told you it was some time ago, at the old KUAF studio. And I mean the old one, the White Building on Duncan Avenue. Charlie Allison's weekly tours of University of Arkansas history are an observation of the school's sesquicentennial. There are more observations, and you can find out about them at 150.uark.edu. Charlie Allison is the executive editor at University Relations at the U of A. This is Ozarks at Large. Monday night, the U.S. Marshals Museum in Fort Smith will continue its tradition of sharing a night with a historic figure, at least an actor recreating a historic figure. In the past, there's been George Washington and Thomas Jefferson. This year, it's Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. The event, a fundraiser for the museum, starts Monday night at 6.30 inside the museum, a facility that is completed, but money still needs to be raised for the exhibit displays. Last week, on Giving Tuesday, as a matter of fact, we reached Leslie Higgins, the Director of Education at the Museum, and Jennifer Seaton Rambo, Donor Engagement Specialist at the Museum, to discuss Monday night's event. We find first-class actors that come and portray um, their characters, uh, their historical um, characters. Uh, you truly a lot of times feel like you have been in the presence of these people. George Washington was the George Washington for Mount Vernon. Uh, we've had Thomas Jefferson, who was the... Uh, uh, older Thomas Jefferson and younger Thomas Jefferson from Colonial Williamsburg. Um, so we really work hard to find people that um, that 
may give you that feeling, but also really know their character or really know their person that they are um, reenacting. So yeah, this year we have uh, Martin Luther King. Uh, he is an actor named Stephen Ferguson from North Carolina, uh, and he has performed all over the country uh, in different venues. Uh, he also does some um, different comedy and other things, but his main role is to is portraying Martin Luther King. And one of the things about having a U.S. Marshals Museum is the U.S. Marshals Service is connected to so many different historic figures, George Washington helping launch the service. Um, one of the things that we'll learn on December 13th is the role that the Marshals Service played in the civil rights movement. Yeah, the, and the marshals were very involved uh, in the civil rights movement and involved with King directly on several occasions um, in uh, Selma uh, when they were trying to do the march um, across march across the bridge, uh, the Pettus Bridge. Um, he, they were protecting him at the at different churches where he spoke. Uh, they gave him a, an honor um, guard, basically, um, and picked him up and drove him to the. Uh, uh, Lincoln Memorial uh, for the I Have a Dream speech. Um, so they were very involved um, with King throughout the civil rights movement, as well as other areas uh, such as um, desegregation of our schools around the South uh, and things like that. The museum is telling and will tell us about uh, so many aspects of the U.S. US Marshals Service. As we've been going through 2021, we've been following uh, the fundraising efforts. There was a challenge made. Where are we as we sit here on Giving Tuesday during uh, the recording of our conversation? Where do we stand with um, money raised for the Marshalls Museum? Uh, currently, the United States Marshals Museum is down to about $4 million left to raise, and that will go toward the $5 million anonymous match that was given this, uh, this past summer. Four million, you know, if, if you haven't been following, four million may sound like a lot, but that finish line seems very close now, doesn't it? Oh, yes, we definitely see light at the end of this tunnel. Uh, we have exciting things going on. You know, the building was complete uh, in January of 2020. Since then, we've been navigating ways through the pandemic uh, and uh, finding new ways to implement uh, and continue our educational programs. Um, and like right now, our museum does not have a, a, an open date set in stone. However, uh, keep your eyes and uh, ears open on our website and our socials. Uh, we will definitely be updating some exciting stuff in the near future. What is it like being in that building, that, that beautiful building that's been finished? You're waiting for the exhibits. You're waiting for the people. What's it like to be there on a day-to-day -day basis as you get closer to announcing an opening date? It is very exciting to be here. Um, I've been with this project for 11 years uh, as doing education. And so to be in this building and be this close to the finish line is just so exciting um, to be able to have, you know, we have our own events here in our building. Now we recently had a safe kids fair where we had over 400 people uh, here uh, outside on our grounds, learning about uh, different safety activities for children. Uh, we have this event coming up on the 13th and just as as we move forward toward that opening date, the programs are going to continue and they're going to get uh, more and they're going to grow uh, as we move toward that opening date. All right, Leslie, Jennifer, people want to attend December 13th. How do they uh, secure their tickets? 
Tickets are available at stubs.net, or if uh, they'd like to call the museum, we would be happy to help them with that process. We talked with Jennifer Seaton Rambo, Donor Engagement Specialist at the United States Marshals Museum, and Leslie Higgins, Director of Education at the museum, last week via Zoom as they were seated in front of the Wall of Honor inside the Marshalls Museum in Fort Smith. You can find out more about Monday night's event, which takes place from 630 to 90, and find tickets at stubs.net. Ozarks at Large is underwritten, in part, by the Walton Family Charitable Support Foundation. It's time for the annual KUAF and Friends Holiday Giveaway, your chance to win a gift from one of many generous KUAF underwriters. Participants include Hillberry Music Festival, the Fayetteville Farmer's Market, David Adams Fine Jewelers, and more. Winners announced on Friday, December 10th during the noon edition of Ozarks at Large. Details and registration available at KUAF.com. Just ahead on today's show, if you drive through downtown Eureka Springs, you don't hit any stoplights. In fact, you don't really hit any sort of traffic control implements other than stop signs at all. That will be changing. Eureka Springs City Council says they're ready for a roundabout. Ozarks at Large's Jacqueline Froelich will explain just ahead. This is the season of giving fundraising week at KUAF, a time when we come in between our stories and interviews just to remind you that you are the reason we can bring you those stories and interviews. Listener support still by far the biggest part of the budget for KUAF. Thank you for your support for more than 35 years, and thanks for your support this week. You can go to supportkuaf.com right now. You're supporting Ozarks at Large, NPR Newscast, Morning Edition, everything you hear on KUAF. Now, what you can see as a listener to KUAF is what it takes to bring you the news, both locally with Ozarks at Large and from around the world through NPR. As our community began grappling with abrupt cancellations, new discoveries about COVID-19 and the implications of social distancing, our reporting team was gathering the facts, asking the questions you wanted asked. And we're still doing that as new variants emerge, checking and rechecking to make sure the information is accurate. The most important thing you can do to support this work is to become a member of KUAF today. Become a monthly contributor if you'd like. You pick the amount that you contribute every month at supportkuaf.com and become a sustaining member. And from all of us that work here at KUAF and from your fellow listeners who already give, thank you very much. Hi, this is Don Gagne from NPR. When NPR and KUAF were founded, we had ambitious goals for public radio to bring quality journalism to everyone, period. No strings attached. Decades later, we are keeping that promise, and that means we rely on you. Everyone can listen to KUAF, and when you support us by donating, you help keep our promise. So, here's how to keep public radio for the public. Visit supportkuaf.com to make a gift today. Thank you. You can make a contribution safely and easily right now at supportkuaf.com. You determine the amount of your contribution. You also determine just how you give, whether you want to give a one-time gift, perhaps since it's uh, the season of giving fundraiser, uh, a holiday gift, or a, a, a gift of support in somebody else's name to honor them, or you simply want to give something uh, to KUAF at the end of the year, a tax-deductible gift. Whatever and however you want to give, we explain it at supportkuaf.com. And if you give $240 or 
become a sustaining member for $20 or more a month, you can ask for the special 2021 holiday CD from Ozarks at Large and KUAF. However you give, thank you very much. This is Ozarks at Large. Thanks for being with us on this Wednesday. You can share any story or interview you hear on our show through social media or email just by going to ozarksatlarge.com and using the links provided. If you're a fan of Eureka Springs, you may want to share this next story. The Eureka Springs City Council has approved a resolution to partner with the Arkansas Department of Transportation to construct a traffic roundabout. As Ozarks at Large, as Jacqueline Froelich reports, it's going to be the first ever traffic control system for the mountainous community, which has up to three-quarter of a million visitors annually. To better control northbound traffic into Eureka Springs, Mayor Butch Berry says the Arkansas Department of Transportation made him an offer he couldn't refuse. Well, they made us an offer of being able to solve a traffic congestion problem at the intersection of Highway 23, uh, south and highway 62 uh which is a three-way intersection uh putting in a roundabout with us uh coming up with two hundred fifty thousand dollars on an approximate three million dollar project a roundabout is a circular counterclockwise one-way intersection that slows and sorts traffic Using signage and street decals, roundabouts can be single-lane or double-lane, depending on the number of streets involved. Drivers have right-of-way after entering a roundabout. Eureka's multiple-lane roundabout will be constructed with state transportation improvement funds, including access road expansion and a northeast retaining wall. It's all going to be done within the right-of-way. There's not going to be any new uh, additional land being able to be required. It's all within the highway right-of-way as it exists today. No eminent domain declarations will be required. The roundabout construction budget will be formulated once engineering plans are drawn up, according to an email from Kim Stryker, city mayoral assistant. The city's cost share could come from the Biden administration federal infrastructure funding, a pursuit Barry will undertake, or the city's street fund. The city's responsible only for sewer and waterline relocation. The Eureka roundabout concept started some years ago after Barry approached the highway department about installing a stoplight. And it would also cost approximately about a million dollars. And then we would be responsible for continuing maintenance in perpetuity uh, of of the streetlight. So if anything happened, we would have to get somebody, uh, probably from Oklahoma, to come over to fix it. Uh, and when we talked about the roundabout, the highway department said, well, you know, we want you, we'll put in $250,000 or, or $350,000, and you guys pay $2 million, $2.5 million. And I said, well, I guess that leaves us our third option, which is do nothing, because we sure can't afford the $2.5 million. And after we had the highway millage vote come up last year, in which we uh, went ahead and rededicated the highway uh, tax fund, and talking to 
uh, the Highway Commission. I reminded them that they've never put any money into Eureka Springs on the highway, and was there a way for them to look at helping us out with this roundabout as solving the problem? And that's when they came back and said, well, how much do y'all, can y'all put in? And I said, we can probably come up with 250000 And so they said, that's fine. We'll do that. We'll put it in our budget. Barry says the highway department will design the roundabout to accommodate county livestock, trucks, big rig tractor trailers, as well as pedestrians. Yes, uh, we've we've been dealing with highway uh, sidewalks uh, for the last 10 years, uh, and we've just completed some, uh, and we're getting ready to start new construction from the Planer Hill over our ultimate thing since they moved the high school out there is to be able to put sidewalks out to the school. So eventually that's going to be part of the project, too, and probably under a separate grant, of course. Eureka Springs Pre-K-12 schools operate a few blocks south of the intersection. Council Member Harry Meyer, Ward 3, Position 2, voted for the roundabout. He says while at municipal league meetings in Little Rock with the mayor several years ago, a civil engineer told them a roundabout would be a good solution for the problem intersection. Yes, the highway department was has been pushing about doing something for the that intersection. Uh, in fact, they had suggested a, a stoplight, which nobody here wants. Eurekans have long bragged about not having any stoplights in the historic Victorian village, population 2,166. The highway department keeps a count every so often. You know, they put car counters out there. There's 20,000 cars in a 24-hour period at certain times of the year. City Councilwoman Melissa Green, a member of the Eureka Springs Planning Commission, also voted for the roundabout. I think the benefit of it is to to stop the congestion on on the corner of 62 and 23 to make a more flowing traffic. During tourist seasons, drivers are required to wait up to 10 minutes or more on northbound 23 south into town, waiting for a break in Highway 62 traffic. Local police intervene only during festivals and other crowded events. Eureka resident Pat Matsukas expressed concerns about the roundabout at the city council meeting where the resolution was approved November 22nd. If this intersection is a challenge, what are the other options that we have not explored? Metsukis believes the roundabout, based on her research, will cause confusion and likely speed up traffic. This is a multi-million dollar project, and I have not seen it come in front of our planning commission. I have not seen this be talked about by anybody except the council table and the mayor. Mayor Barry says the federal project approved through resolution by city council does not require a public hearing or planning approval. Matsukas prefers the city spend the money to improve sidewalks and install more street illumination in town. Matsuka says a cheaper solution at the chronically congested 2362 intersection would be to install three stop signs. Currently, it only has one for drivers northbound on 23, seeking to turn left or right on Highway 62. You know, I've, I've, I've talked with a bunch of my friends about this. I think that what I heard from most of them was, start with a stop sign. Start with a bloody stop sign and see if that makes a difference. And that is so much cheaper than spending millions on restructuring a road, a curve. It's, it's a horrible curve there for those people that are familiar with this area. It's a downward slant, so we have to worry about drainage. There's all these different parts of the equation. And to what end, I say? 
So start with the stop sign and see where that takes us. Barry says the city installed a three-way stop in downtown Eureka, later removing it because it caused chaos. Mayor Barry says he's been transparent, raising the roundabout concept at past council meetings, a project he says is widely supported by citizens. Roundabouts first built in Europe have been increasing in the U.S. over the past several decades, says Brian Vines. He's an engineer with HAF Associates, headquartered in Richardson, Texas. He's based in Arkansas. He specializes in municipal road projects. They're a good solution because if you do have accidents, they're minor. Rather than have a T-bone accident from a left turner turning in front of another car, they would be more sideswipe, low-speed collisions if you have them. Because as people enter a roundabout, you design them such that the entry speeds are in the 15 to 20 miles an hour. If there is a collision, it would be a low-speed collision. Minor traffic accidents are commonplace in Eureka Springs, mostly among tourists, due to unfamiliar mountainous terrain, often involving recreational motorcyclists, losing control on curving highways. Vine says roundabouts slow drivers down. They can be a traffic calming measure. And like I said, they move a lot of traffic. I actually live in Conway, and we've got over 20. And they're a, to me, they're a great solution. And Vines offers guidance to first-time roundabout users. It gets difficult if it's a two-lane roundabout. And then you need to know what your destination is and select your lane before you enter it. You don't want to change lanes within the roundabout. If it's a single lane, it's just like your normal intersection. You take your gap to enter, and then you take the route out of the roundabout that you want. Vine says roundabouts have a higher cost up front but are very low maintenance once built. After the Arkansas Department of Transportation completes its study and modeling for the construction of the Eureka Springs Highway 2362 roundabout, it should be completed by 2024. For Ozarks at Large, I'm Jacqueline Froelich. The Arkansas Razorback basketball team remains undefeated after last night's 86-66 win over Charlotte in Fayetteville. The 10th-ranked Razorbacks next play Oklahoma on a neutral court in Tulsa. Saturday. The Arkansas women host Jackson State tomorrow night at 7 in Bud Walton Arena. The UAFS basketball teams will host Midwestern State University Friday night on the UAFS campus. John Brown University teams are on the road tonight facing Oklahoma City University. Both JBU teams will host games Saturday. The women facing Ecclesia at 2.05 Saturday in Salem Springs. The men hosting Central Baptist at 4.05 Saturday. KUAF is supported by The Momentary in Bentonville, presenting the Inverse Performance Arts Symposium Saturday and Sunday. That's this Saturday and Sunday, December 11th and 12th. It will feature two days of performance, conversation, and connection with solo and group performances by eight national and international artists. Tickets and information at themomentary.org. Support for KUAF comes from the Northwest Arkansas Business Journal, now featuring arts and entertainment, including largest venues, plus local business news from Northwest Arkansas. Subscriptions and more information available at 725-0394 or nwabusinessjournal.com. This is Ozarks at Large. Thanks for being with us. This is KUAF's Season of Giving fundraiser as we move toward the end of 2021. Year after year, KUAF brings our community together through the power of public radio, informing you with trusted news and information, inspiring you with culture and the arts, and connecting you through a strong local focus. It's our mission, all the more essential this year.
In uncertain times, KUAF City Voices, delivering fact-centered reporting, insightful conversations, intriguing podcasts, and the rewards of the unexpected, are all the more necessary as we look for clarity and understanding. Morning edition and all things considered, Fresh Air, 1A, Ozarks at Large, plus the weekend, Radio Lab, Hidden Brain, This American Life. In 2022, you can count on those programs and others being essential. You are essential to KUAF, by the way. Year after year, contributions from members just like you provide by far the largest part of KUAF's budget. That is a fact. Everything you count on from KUAF counts on stronger listener support. So if you can right now, please take a few minutes to make your generous year-end gift to help power everything you'll count on from KUAF in 2022. You can go to supportkuaf.com. Whether you realize it or not, the relationships you have with the people in your life are constantly changing. For better or worse, it's a natural part of life. I'm Sam Sanders from It's Been a Minute, and there's one relationship that you can always rely on. Your relationship with NPR and KUAF. You listen for thoughtful news and conversations, and those only get stronger with your support. This relationship matters, so please show your support today by giving at supportkuaf.com. We do appreciate the relationship we have with you that we've had for more than three and a half decades. Your support keeps programs like 1A, Morning Edition, and Ozarks at Large on the air. And again this year during our Season of Giving fundraiser, we are offering a special CD as a thank you gift for your support. We've put together a collection of live performances of holiday songs. These were performed live in front of an audience during our live holiday Ozarks at Large shows at the Fayetteville Public Library. Didn't have one in 2021. Didn't have one in 2020. You know why. We're planning on having one in 2022, but in the meantime, you can make a contribution and hear holiday songs on this year's special CD. Songs from artists like Handmade Moments and Farmer in the Markets. gift of $240 or just $20 a month, you can request a special KUAF Holiday 2021 CD, collection of local artists performing holiday songs, originals, and standards that you won't find anywhere else. That's for a gift of $240 or more, or if you set up a $20 a month sustaining gift. You can make your gift right now at supportkuaf.com, and thank you. This time of year, in the warm embrace of hot cocoa and familiar songs, you can look ahead with a sense of optimism. An opportunity to hit the reset button is coming. Hey, I'm A. Martinez. When you listen to Morning Edition from NPR News, you get fresh perspectives that help you see the world through new eyes. So start each day open to possibility. Listen every weekday.
And you can hear Morning Edition every weekday morning from 5 to 9 on your public radio station, KUAF. Tomorrow on Ozarks at Large, the University of Arkansas Office for Sustainability is partnering with the U of A Herbarium to inventory plants and collect seeds from an on-campus remnant native tall grass prairie. We'll have the details on tomorrow's Ozarks at Large at noon and 7 p.m. and whenever you want when you subscribe to the free daily Ozarks at Large podcast through any major podcast distributor. For the Central Arkansas Library System, I'm Mark Chris with an Encyclopedia of Arkansas Minute. Two of Arkansas's literary light shared a home in West Little Rock. Pulitzer Prize-winning poet John Gould Fletcher and author Charlie Mae Simon married in 1936 and five years later hired their friend, architect Max Mayer, to design a house for them on a wooded lot eight miles from downtown Little Rock. Simon noted that, because he was also a dear friend, I'm sure he took more pleasure watching our house go up than he did the expensive and pretentious ones for which he was paid a larger fee. The house, which they named Johnswood, reflected the minimal traditional style of architecture and featured offices at each end where Fletcher and Simon wrote. They would often take walks in the woods of their hilltop, 34-acre site with its view of the Arkansas River. The troubled Fletcher killed himself in a pond on the property in 1950, but Simon continued living there and writing, including an autobiographical book titled John's Wood. The house still stands on the high ground above Interstate 430. To learn more, visit encyclopediaofarkansas.net. This is 91.3 KUAF, Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Bentonville, and Elkins. Ozarks at Large is produced at the Carver Center for Public Radio. Today's show produced inside the Harold and Blanchcock News Studio KUAF by Timothy Dennis. Contributors included Charlie Allison and Jacqueline Froelich. Our station manager at KUAF is Lee Wood, and additional material heard in today's Ozarks at Large came from the newsroom at KUAR Public Radio for Little Rock and all of Central Arkansas. Our theme is titled The First Hurrah. It is written and performed by Daryl Sean. Daryl still performing live most weekday afternoons beginning around 4 o'clock our time on his Facebook and Instagram feeds. We always, every day, appreciate your continued support of Ozarks at Large, KUAF, and Public Radio. And you can learn more about supporting us at supportkuaf.com. We will be back with you. Brand new show tomorrow at noon and 7 on KUAF. From the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio, I'm Kyle Kellums. Please take care of yourself. Get rest when you can. We'll talk again very soon. Have a great rest of your Wednesday.